John was strong in his faith and strong in his language. We gotta be honest. Don was as rough as Alaskans wild. Alaska Congressman Don Young lies in state at the U.S. Capitol. From Alaska Public Media, this is Statewide News on Alaska News Nightly for Tuesday, March 29th. Good evening, I'm Casey Grove. Also tonight, oil prices reshape the debate over state revenue and dividend payments. I mean, it wasn't too many months ago in this building, we were talking broad-based tax like it was something that had to happen sooner than later. Those stories and more tonight on Alaska News Nightly. Alaska News Nightly is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Alaska's unique approach to mental health funding is improving the lives of Alaskans who experience behavioral health conditions and developmental disabilities. The Alaska Mental Health Trust Authority has a responsibility to generate revenue from its one million acres of land and the resources they contain. The trust uses this revenue to help fund statewide programs and initiatives that positively impact trust beneficiaries. To learn more, visit alaskamentalhealthtrust.org. This message sponsored by the Alaska Mental Health Trust. Alaska Congressman Don Young entered the U.S. Capitol for the last time today. He lay in state in Statuary Hall, just off the House chamber. The event was formal and somber, and Alaska Public Media Washington correspondent Liz Ruskin reports it was just the sort of thing Don Young would have hated. Ready, step. Ready, step. Eight uniformed service members carried Congressman Don Young's flag-draped coffin up the stone stairs of the U.S. House. Young was Alaska's sole representative in the House for 49 years and was the longest-serving Republican in history. As he lay in Statuary Hall, congressional leaders and Alaska's senators eulogized Young for his service to Alaska and for his colorful character. Don was strong in his faith and strong in his language. We got to be honest. Don was as rough as Alaskans wild. That's House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. He recounted the time he made the mistake of taking the seat in the House chamber Young assigned to himself. The lesson I learned that day, it's true, he does have a knife. After the speeches, after the Army chorus sang, Young's wife, Anne, daughters Dawn and Joni, and grandchildren each had a moment at the casket. Then members of Congress filed past. Some touched the flag on top, some saluted, some made the sign of the cross. The last of the dignitaries later in the afternoon was President Biden, who did all three. Aside from a few lighter anecdotes, the ceremony was quiet and solemn, Nothing like the man himself. Young's last official communications director, Zach Brown, took note of the irony. It is a great honor to, to be in Statuary Hall and to lie in state, but he, he hated funerals. <laughs> I mean, he... In the House chamber, Young was known for bellowing calls to get on with the vote. He was often impatient with colleagues who showed up late, and he had an innate dislike of ceremony. Senator Lisa Murkowski agrees Young would not have relished the pomp and bother. But he would have been proud that it started right on time. We were relatively punctual, although I'm sure he would have said that the senators went on too long. Young died March 18 after losing consciousness on an Alaska Airlines flight to Seattle. He was 88 years old. 
A memorial service will be held for Young at a church near his home in suburban Washington on Wednesday and at Anchorage Baptist Temple on Saturday. From the U.S. Capitol, I'm Liz Ruskin. The Alaska House of Representatives is scheduled to debate the state budget this week. One of the biggest differences is not over dollars and cents, it's over what name to call the money that will be sent to Alaskans later this year. As Alaska Public Media and KTOO's Andrew Kitchenman reports, there's disagreement about the message lawmakers want to send. This year's budget is unlike any the legislature has debated since the price of oil fell in 2014. Oil prices are back up, and so is state revenue. That allows for some big-ticket spending proposals. And under both Governor Mike Dunleavy's budget proposal and the one the House Finance Committee passed last week, Alaskans would receive more than $2,500 in payments from the state. Dunleavy says that's the amount permanent fund dividends should be this year. Members of the House Majority Caucus have proposed a dividend half that size. They're calling the other half of the payment an energy relief check. Palmer Republican Representative Delana Johnson sponsored a budget amendment that would have paid the entire amount as dividends, which she said is closer to the current formula. She says the legislature comes up with excuses each year to not follow the formula. We can say the stock market is volatile. We can say all kinds of what ifs is fine. We don't want to pay it. But the fact is, is we have a statute. We've struggled with the statute. We've talked about the statute. I mean, this has brought the legislature to a standstill, a standstill over the last four years. Anchorage Democratic Representative Andy Josephson is a member of the majority. He opposed the amendment. My main problem with this is that it, it, it fundamentally says, let's forget the lessons of 2014 to 2021, as if that part of history didn't happen. During those years, paying larger dividends would have required some combination of spending cuts, new taxes, or larger draws from state savings. So Josephson is concerned with the message describing the entire $2,500 payment as a dividend would send that it would set up Alaskans' expectations that dividends would be that size every year. Nikiski Republican Representative Ben Carpenter supported the amendment. He says setting PFDs at the lower amount also would send a message that the legislature wants to spend more of the annual draw from the permanent fund on government. We're communicating our intention to do something with the permanent fund earnings. The two proposals also reflect a split over the formula setting the dividend amount, which hasn't been followed since 2015. Neither proposal would follow the current formula, which would pay a dividend of roughly $4,200. Anchorage Republican Representative Sarah Rasmussen predicts that Alaskans will understand the payments they receive this year as dividends, regardless of what they're called. I don't think that because we're calling it something different, the public will recognize that this is two separate payments. We can speak about it, but the majority of the public doesn't tune into the news regularly, I don't think. She compared the energy relief check proposal to similar payments the state paid in 2008. She says that as long as Alaskans receive the money at the same time, it will appear to be a PFD. Fairbanks Democratic Representative Adam Wool disagrees. He says the 2008 payments did not set up public expectations that dividends would be higher from then on, in part because the state government said it was responding to high energy prices. 
And he says that can happen again. It definitely was noted as a separate amount due to high oil. And um, I'd like to keep it that way. Fairbanks Republican Representative Bart Laban also says he's concerned about the precedent of calling the entire payment a dividend. I mean, it wasn't too many months ago in this building, we were talking broad-based tax like it was something that had to happen sooner than later. And the only uh, question to be answered is, was it a sales or an income? Laban says the talk of taxes stopped this year, but he predicts it could come back in the future if the state continues to pay higher dividends. The House Finance Committee failed to adopt the amendment, which means that half of the payment is still called an energy relief check. The timing over when the budget debate will begin is uncertain. On Monday and Tuesday, the House did not hold a full floor session after some members refused to wear face masks. House Speaker Louise Stutz reinstituted a mask requirement after at least one representative and multiple staff members tested positive for COVID-19. In Juneau, I'm Andrew Kitchenman. Still to come on Alaska News Nightly, the push for local input on changing derogatory place names. If the federal government was going to come in here and, and change a name on our tribal lands, that we should be consulted individually. That's ahead. Stay with us. Alaska News Nightly is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. The COVID-19 pandemic has created unexpected financial hardship for many Alaskans. Do you need help paying your mortgage? You are not alone. Now there is help. If you own a home, you may be eligible for Alaska Housing Homeowner Relief. The program may help cover mortgage payments, property taxes, utilities, insurance premiums, and homeowner association dues. The last day to apply is Monday, April 4th. Learn more and sign up at alaskahousingrelief.org. This message sponsored by Alaska Housing Finance Corporation. Another seafood processor is moving out of Kenai this salmon season. Copper River Seafoods is ending its run in the old Snug Harbor Seafood Plant, leaving one major salmon processor in the area, but promising the addition of a new company soon. The Alaska-based company is leaving the area just ahead of a big change to the Cook Inlet fishery. KDLL's Sabine Pooks has the update. Processors like Copper River buy fish from commercial fishermen and then bring that catch to market. As commercial fishermen have dealt with declining salmon runs and management changes in Cook Inlet, processors from Kenai to Homer have left also, leaving fishermen with fewer options. In a letter, Copper River CEO Scott Blake said those factors were to blame for the company ending its salmon buying on the Kenai Peninsula, plus increasing production costs for the company. The letter didn't call out any particular management changes, and a spokesperson for Copper River Seafoods couldn't be reached before airtime. But the largest recent change to the commercial fishing landscape in the region is the impending closure of a large part of Cook Inlet to commercial salmon fishing. That controversial change was approved by a federal council in late 2020 and goes into effect for the first time this summer, short of a last-minute legal holdup. Opponents of the decision warned that closing the fishery would take out local processors, too. But Paul Dale says even before the council's decision, processors have been pulling out of the inlet. Dale's processing operation, Snug Harbor Seafoods, sold to Copper River in 2019. Processing has been changing in the Cook Inlet area, Kenai area. Cook Inlet specific for probably an easy 20 years. The erosion of processors has been a steady one, Dale says, as fishing time and opportunities have decreased. 
But then in the last decade, the size and value of coconut commercial salmon harvests have dropped, bringing close to 10 processors quickly down to just a few. Dale says Copper River has scaled back since it's been running the Californski Beach Road plant in the last three years. And while they did not achieve the success that they hoped they would in Cook Inlet, uh, that does not necessarily mean that different companies aren't experiencing success in Cook Inlet or might might be able to achieve success in Cook Inlet. Audrey Salmon, office manager for the local Drift Association, says Copper River stopped buying fish from Kisilov fishermen last year. And after that, many fishermen took their business to Pacific Star, which today is the only Kenai-based processing plant for the Drift Fleet. OBI Seafoods in Homer also buys from fishermen in Kisilov and Niljik. Other fishermen have started marketing their catch themselves. Salmon says those fishermen, called catcher processors, have become more popular in Cook Inlet as more processors have left the area. Copper River said in its letter it will be replaced by a new company, Rogue Wave. Rogue Wave doesn't yet have a digital footprint. The letter from Copper River says the company will make an announcement soon about what its presence in the area will look like. And it says the buyers will work with fishermen in Kenai, Kisilov, and Nanilchik. Copper River, meanwhile, says it will continue to work on groundfish programs in Homer, Whittier, and Cordova. In Kenai, I'm Sabine Pooks. It's been over a week since a tugboat ran aground north of Sitka, leading to a large diesel spill. Now that the spring herring run is in full swing, the state is advising against the subsistence harvest of herring eggs in areas where fuel has been seen. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. The wrecked tugboat the Western Mariner has been beached since March 21st in Neva Strait. And while salvage crews managed to patch the leaks and remove just over 32,000 gallons of diesel and around 11,000 gallons of mixed oil and water from the boat directly, it's still unclear how much fuel leaked into the ocean. Throughout the following days, fuel sheen was observed throughout the strait and in nearby coves. On March 24th, three days after the spill, the widest spread of sheen was observed during aerial surveys, as far north as Salisbury Sound and as far south as Crestoff Sound. The herring began to spawn over the weekend, though, meaning it's time subsistence harvesters set hemlock branches and kelp along the shoreline to be coated with eggs. The timing of the spill could not be worse. KCAW spoke with subsistence harvester Paulette Moreno on March 25th, shortly before she went out to survey the areas where she plans to set branches. The oil spill and the sheen that recently happened here in Sitka is much more serious and heart-wrenching than originally presented. There has been much effort made. However, with a turn of events, it is It is every person who loves this land opportunity and responsibility to respond to this crisis. On March 26, the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services and the Department of Environmental Conservation issued a joint seafood safety advisory. It recommends that no herring eggs be harvested from Neva Strait or St. John Baptist Bay until further notice. Rachel Kryeski is an on-scene coordinator with the DEC. She says they're recommending harvesters avoid those two areas because it's where the heaviest diesel sheens have been observed. We issued that statement out of an abundance of caution until we have more information to, you know, confidently say that, you know, it is safe to go ahead and harvest there. So we're just trying to make sure that, you know, we're being as precautious as as possible. 
The advisory also says to avoid harvesting or eating any eggs that smell or taste of oil, avoid setting gear in areas where sheens can be seen, and relocate harvest efforts outside of the area where a surface sheen has been observed. Sarah Yoder works for DHSS, managing the Environmental Public Health Program. She says the risk of eating herring eggs or seafood that has been contaminated by diesel fuel is hard to gauge because it's hard to know how much diesel they've been exposed to. Just like with other toxic substances, the likelihood of any health problems depends on things such as how much, how often, or for how long someone has been exposed. An occasional meal of um, some herring grow is less likely to increase um, risk potential potential health effects than you know, eating that every single day for a long period of time. Yoder says in general, the longer time passes after a fuel spill and the longer an area has been without visible sheen, the safer things become, though diesel can cling to fine grain sediments, which can prolong the time it takes for fuel to dissipate. As time passes and you know, areas flushed with you know, clean water, these the, the risk becomes less and less. It's really hard to have a um, safe or not safe termination um, without you know, a lot of data. Kryeski with the DEC says the advisory applies to all types of harvest, including commercial. The Alaska DEC communicates its situation reports with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game daily. You know, the, the partnership is, is working as such where we're keeping them informed and, and then they can make an informed decision regarding whether or not to conduct a commercial fishery. As of March 26th, five days after the spill, the State Department of Environmental Conservation was reporting no visible fuel sheen outside of Neva Strait. But sheening was still present directly around the vessel and between Entrance Island just south of Wyville Reef, the largest shore on the eastern side of Neva Strait. Kryeski says they're still monitoring the area 24 hours a day and replacing sorbent boom regularly. Our SCAT team is out in the field today and um, hopefully soon we'll have a full report from them that will identify any any beaches that need extra attention. While reports of the situation are still in flux, Moreno says that for subsistence harvesters, this year feels different, as she braced herself to see the effects the spill has on the surrounding environment. It's a lot, not only on our minds, but on our hearts. This is a, this is a different year. What would our elders say? Kryeski says they hope to refloat the Western Mariner in the next few days. They will have a large team on site monitoring the boom surrounding the vessel in the event that more diesel leaks into the water. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Alaska News Nightly is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. The Alaska Travel Industry Association provides leadership and guidance to Alaska's tourism businesses for how to operate safely across the state. Members can access updated industry resources related to COVID-19 at alaskatia.org. This message sponsored by ATIA. The University of Alaska Southeast creates teachers that inspire creativity, encourage curiosity, and know how to make learning fun. All programs are fully accredited by CAPE, and a variety of scholarships and grants are available to students, including the PETAS program, supporting Alaska Native students pursuing careers in education. More at uas.alaska.edu. This message sponsored by the University of Alaska Southeast.
More than two dozen places in Alaska are named using a racist and sexist word that disparages indigenous women. For months before the federal government began steps to change those names, Dillingham Elementary students pushed to rename a Dillingham Creek that uses that slur, as well as a road that bears the creek's name. Now, as KDLG's Izzy Ross reports, tribal members from Dillingham are working to get additional consultation and gather name ideas from the community. Last spring, three elementary students wanted to change the name of a creek and road in Dillingham that uses a derogatory word against Indigenous women. The students, Alora Wassily, Trista Wassily, and Harmony Larson, wanted to change it to Seven Sisters Creek to reflect the community's connection to sisters who traveled about six miles from Nushigak Point to live along the creek in Dillingham generations ago. In November, Interior Secretary Deb Holland moved to ban the slur from the names of places on federal lands. And last month, the Interior Department opened a public comment period on name changes for over 660 geographic features across the country. The Federal Derogatory Geographic Names Task Force, unlike the girls, based its suggestions on other geographic locations in the area. In Alaska, the task force will give priority to tribes' suggestions for name changes, but those suggestions have to adhere to existing policies, like restrictions on naming things after people. The task force planned three group tribal consultations on the changes. First Chief J.J. Larson says the Choyong Tribal Council in Dillingham took part in a March 22nd consultation with the U.S. Board on Geographic Names, but the tribe also requested an independent session with the board, which is scheduled for mid-April. The three girls that have worked on this for over a year now have done a lot of the groundwork and and really pushed for this to happen, and we felt that as a tribe... If the federal government was going to come in here and and change a name on our tribal lands, that we should be consulted individually. On April 2nd, the Choyong tribe plans to hold a community meeting open to everyone in Dillingham to discuss ideas and gather feedback. Larson says a few names have been brought forward since the students first presented Seven Sisters Creek. The girls actually came to our tribal council meeting and gave us another name as as another option as uh, Allah's Creek and as you might well know that uh, Ola is big sister, and so it's a really good name, I think, that that really ties well with our community and, and our culture. Elder Dora Andrew Erke worked with the students on the name change project. She's from Alaknagik, which she says means wrong way in Yupik. Her aunt told her that the first people who resided in Alaknagik set up camp at what became the mission school. They settled there, and once it becomes a place to live, then you give it a name. So land was sometimes named named after the human body. And so Aleknegig, which was Alahan, somebody went up the wrong river with the kayak instead of going up the Nushigak River and settled there. And then the rest of the group the natives that first settled there called themselves the Iyagakamute. As for renaming the creek in Dillingham, Andrew Erke thinks it should reflect the woman who lived there. From my Yupik culture, I would uh, show respect by just calling it Asakshaitguizat, uh, the Sisters Creek. Allah is the oldest sister. 
So implies there are more than one sister. Efforts to restore native place names aren't new. In 2015, then-President Barack Obama used his executive power to rename Mount McKinley Denali after a more than quarter-century push to do so. Chokyong First Chief J.J. Larson says through this effort, he started to think about the potential for changing the names of other places in the area. I think that as the new First Chief, I'm pretty new to it. Um, one of the things that I would like to work on is is working with the city and seeing if there would be any any interest in changing the name of the city to Chokyong. He hasn't taken any action on that yet, but he pointed to other cities throughout the state that have changed their names. Take Barrow, for example. You go to Barrow, and it was Barrow before, but now it's Utyagvik. And uh, just saying that out loud, you have to think about, like, oh, this is a native land, right? And so that, that's something to think about, and that's something that I would like to work with the city on. The current effort through the Derogatory Names Task Force will change geographic names in the federal registry, but not local or state building, park, or road names. People can submit comments on the process or name suggestions of their own to the Federal Register. The deadline to do so is April 25th. In Dillingham, I'm Izzy Ross. A University of Alaska Fairbanks scientist has been recognized by NASA. UAF Vice Chancellor for Research Nettie LaBelle Hamer is the recipient of the Space Agency's Exceptional Public Achievement Medal. KUAC's Mary Ald reports. UAF scientist Nettie LaBelle Hamer was drinking her morning coffee when she saw an email in her inbox from NASA. And I had to read it a couple times, and I just remember sitting there going, what? The email said NASA had selected her as the recipient of the Exceptional Public Achievement Medal. The award is given to those who make exceptional contributions to NASA but are not employed by the agency. I can easily get emotional talking about it because... Not only do I love the work, but I love the people I work with. And the fact that they would do this um, for me is deeply honoring. LaBelle Hamer says her journey to the NASA award started in a middle school science class in Anchorage. Since then, she's earned three degrees in physics and led UAF's Geophysics Institute and the Alaska Satellite Facility. LaBelle Hamer's colleagues at the Alaska Satellite Facility nominated her for the award for her work on Synthetic Aperture Radar Technology, or SAR. In their nomination letter, they said that her contributions will make a difference, quote, for generations to come, unquote. SAR uses radar from satellites to gather information about the surface of the Earth. LaBelle Hamer says the technology can provide information useful to those studying a wide range of topics. We can study permafrost and earthquakes, and we can look at the growing, growing cities or shrinking forests or changing sea ice, anything that changes over time. LaBelle Hamer was also recognized for her work developing tools that scientists can use to process and interpret the data they get from SAR. She says that allows the scientists to focus on their research rather than wrestling with complex data. LaBelle Hamer recently moved on from her work at the satellite facility when she took a position as UAF's vice chancellor for research. In that role, she supports other researchers. She says she looks back fondly on the work that earned her the award. We get to work on the cutting edge of technology every day, working directly with NASA and with some of the most exciting data that there is. So, I, you know, what a great job. 
For KUAC, I'm Mary Ald. That's all for this edition of Alaska News Nightly. If you missed any of tonight's stories, we're online at alaskapublic.org and wherever you get your podcasts. We had reports tonight from Liz Ruskin in Washington, D.C., Andrew Kitchenman in Juneau, Sabine Pooks in Kenai, Catherine Rose in Sitka, Izzy Ross in Dillingham, and Mary Ald in Fairbanks. Our audio engineers, Tobin Shelby, thanks to Lori Townsend for filling in the last couple of weeks. I'm Casey Grove. Good night. Alaska News Nightly was made possible by First National Bank Alaska, celebrating 100 years of helping Alaskans shape a brighter tomorrow. Learn more at fnbalaska.com. Planning today for a gift down the road builds a legacy of support for the media you treasure. Thank you for considering this public radio station in your estate planning. You can talk to your financial advisor or contact your public radio station to learn more. This is statewide news on Alaska Public Media.